We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. Today, my guest is Nick Bayer, founder and CEO of Saxby's. On March 10th, 2021, Saxby's became a certified B Corporation. We recorded this conversation prior to this incredible announcement, or I would have congratulated Nick during our conversation. B corporations are a new kind of business that balance purpose and profit. They're legally required to consider the impact of their decisions on their workers, customers, suppliers, community, and the environment. This is the community of leaders driving the global movement of people using business as a force for good. Nick says Saxby's is breathing B Corporation into college campuses, exposing students to conscious capitalism in the form of a popular dynamic business run by their peers. In addition, Nick is currently the entrepreneur in residence at Cornell University's School of Hotel Administration and adjunct professor at Drexel University and the executive in residence at Temple University's Fox School of Business. He resides in Philly with his wife and son. He's a triple threat and will explain what that means. In this episode, Nick shares two of their six core values, the remaining four, and information about ELP is in our next episode 24. Nick has always been in the business of bringing people together. His vision emboldens the next generation of entrepreneurs. I'm excited to learn more about his approach and his commitment to mission core values, Welcome to ROG, Nick. Thanks, Shannon. Great to be here. Great to have you. So tell us a little bit about who you are. I'm, I'm a super passionate, all-in, um, as I like to say, triple threat. I'm married to my wife, Hallie, who's my college sweetheart. I'm a, I'm a father to my son, Luke. And so for me, what a triple threat is, is someone who brings their whole self and is successful, which we all, we all define successful a little bit differently, but um, brings your whole self and is, and is successful in the three key areas of life. So to your family, um, to your business, and to your community. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of people that we put up on pedestals in this country that are really, really amazing in one particular area and oftentimes either non-existent or disastrous in one or two of the others. Um, and I've always tried to pride myself on, on looking up to and being inspired by people who are like triple threats in, in all three. Yeah, like th- those are my heroes. And I, and I think so much of that is predicated um, not, not just on who you are and like what your value system is, but um, what you choose to do with work. You know, it's, it's so easy in this country. We work more than we do anything else. And so if you make a decision or you sort of just go into a direction where you're doing something you don't love to do, and you don't feel valued, you don't feel purposeful or fulfilled, that bleeds into everything else that you do. You know, mm-hmm. and so for me, like I think really nailing what my calling was going to be, not not to say a job, but like what was my calling professionally going to be, that was so critical. And you know, I um my parents were super young when they had me. Yeah, they were teenagers and they didn't get a chance to get an education. And they pretty much took whatever job that they could get. And my parents are incredibly talented human beings. But in this country, oftentimes if you 
don't get an education, the opportunity to do the things that you love to do are oftentimes not there for you. You know, they pushed education on me um, and I heeded their advice. You know, I was a, a pretty decent student. You know, I, I wound up going to Cornell, which is where I graduated from. I took a bunch of different internships when I was in school, like finance and logistics and real estate in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, I was like a square peg in a round hole. I was also a baseball player. So I was trying to figure out when I was graduating, what, what is it that I'm going to do? Um, you know, I felt lost. I felt confused. You know, I one day wanted to be James Bond and go work for the CIA. The next day I wanted to be a lawyer. The next day I wanted to be a baseball player, but then none of that actually felt right to me. And, you know, I reached out to some people who had like a huge hand in getting to where I was. You know, one, one was a middle school teacher who pulled my parents aside in seventh grade, you know, and said, look, you, you should really try to send Nick somewhere else for school, you know, a better learning environment. It wasn't, it wasn't a horrific school by any means, but it was, it was low income school. The school was challenged on a resource level. It was a relatively challenging environment to learn in. And, and she felt like if I could get into an area where I would be challenged and supported a little bit better, it would be good for me. And my parents heeded her advice. So I called Mrs. Eichen, freaking out at 22. What am I going to do? And she like calmly and confidently said, Nick, I went into teaching to help change the people's lives and see young people like yourself be the success that you are now. And, and mind you, I didn't feel like I was a success at that point, but taking a step away from, you know, the, the current, you know, dilemma that I was in of like, what am I going to do when I, when I get this diploma, I realized that I wanted to have that same satisfaction in whatever my career, or my calling was going to be. I, I wanted to impact people's lives. I wanted to be getting close to retirement. Like Mrs. Eichen was when we were speaking at that time, and be able to point to and look at all these people whose lives I was involved in, and I had a hand in them moving in the right direction and doing things successfully. Um, and at the same time, you know, going to Cornell and being around my friends and my internships, I, I I got to see and experience business for the first time, and I loved it. You know, I'm an athlete. I like being competitive. I feel like the best comes out of me when I'm challenged. But I'm the happiest. I'm the most motivated when I could be challenged and competitive and make other people's lives better, you know? And so I really want to put those two things together. And so, you know, again, going back to this notion of being like a triple threat, I in many ways believe that once you know who you are and you know what motivates you, making that critical decision of what your career and your calling is going to be is so critical to the other two parts of that triple threat, the, the manner with which you're involved and active with your family and with your community. And so you know, that, that was sort of like the birth of Saxby's for me, you know, and um, the idea that I wanted to be a, a social entrepreneur before anyone was really calling it a social entrepreneur today. But I, I didn't know what that was at the time. I just knew I wanted to hustle hard, be competitive and leverage bu business as a vehicle for good. And, um, yeah, and, and that's, that's where I am today. Thank you for that background. That really gives us context and to your thinking and motivation. What is the reason why you use the word threat? Yeah, I was a basketball player um, my whole life. And you know, the first fundamental thing you're taught in basketball is the triple threat position. It's the position that you stand in so that you can shoot, you can pass, or you can dribble. And my son is seven and we play basketball nonstop. So I'm constantly teaching him the triple threat. So honestly, I think I say that because of my basketball roots. I had so many basketball coaches scream that into my head and uh, you could do anything when you're a triple threat. So I know that your intention was not to start a coffee company. Your intention was to start a social impact company. What led you to choosing the medium in which you were going to do that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, 
I, I just genuinely, and I always have just loved people. You know, like I just, I like being around people. I get energy from people. I knew that it like to get the best out of me and to make that sort of level of impact that I wanted, I wanted something that have, would have very little barrier to entry you know, from, uh, from, from a human being perspective. And I sort of fell in love with the coffee business because like it was 15 years ago and it is today, you know, a great neighborhood community coffee shop, as I believe that Saxby's is like in our, in our heyday pre COVID, you know, we would serve 15,000 guests a day. We'd serve people who had PhDs and we'd serve people who slept on the street the night before. And they know both of them could come to Saxby's and they would be treated with dignity and they would be treated with respect and could share space and an experience together. Yeah. And then the one thing that I, I, I just didn't know, I, I don't even want to say miscalculate. I just didn't even think this far through is that the same thing can be said. Like I spoke about that through like a consumption perspective or the consumer perspective. The same thing can be said from an employment perspective, you know, like that pre COVID and quickly here after post COVID, you know, we employ 900 people. We have people with PhDs and MBAs, and we have people that we've hired out of homeless shelters and everybody starts at the same level with the same exact opportunity to grow. You know, if, if you can only grow in an organization based on your computer science degree or your ability to code or your this or that, you know, inherently you're going to have sort of like haves and have nots. It's like, oh, if you have that diploma, you can go over there. If not, you can go over there. I'm in the coffee business. You know, it's, if, if I can do it, anybody else can do it. And so you know, I, I fell in love with the coffee business because there's no barrier to entry, you know, from a consumption or an employment perspective. If you want to touch people's lives of all walks of life, this is the perfect business to be able to do it in. Yeah, because that whole like, let's meet for coffee. Let's get together for coffee. You know, we should talk about that over a coffee, right? There's something yeah. about coffee and connection, yep. even if you don't like coffee, right? You have other beverages that people can order if they go to Saxby's and don't love coffee, like the two of us do. But yep. that's that's just a really good symbol of connection. I think it's brilliant that you did that. So part of what you're referring to here about the inclusivity and the the environment that you have created so everyone belongs, everybody's literally got a seat. Everybody has opportunity. Everybody's treated with dignity and respect. So that speaks to your culture and you're very intentional about your culture, which is one of the things I admire most about you. Tell us about the reason why you wanted to be so intentional about your culture. And then let's break it down for our listeners to understand what the Saxby's culture is and all of the reasons behind those. Yeah, look, we're, we're in an, an interesting case study because Saxby's has been around long enough where there was a Saxby's without a defined mission statement and core values and then the Saxby's with the defined mission and core values. So most people who've known the business for the last six, seven years, I'm very proud of the fact that they oftentimes associate us with being very value oriented, very community oriented, um, being very sort of education opportunity oriented. That's what people know. Those two things are hand in hand. I started the business at a time where I didn't know how to write a business plan. I didn't know how to raise money. I didn't know that you wrote a mission statement in core values. I didn't, I didn't know to do any of those things. And so I just started a business and I used my credit card and I put a lot of money on my credit card. It took me a long time to be able to pay all that off. Um, and then I was invited back to my alma mater. Um, they asked me to be the first um, entrepreneur in residence um, where they were starting to teach entrepreneurship. You know, this is, this is going back nine years at this point. And I was surrounded by all these amazing professors who would hear me talk about why I became an entrepreneur and what we were trying to accomplish at Saxby's. And they started to give me books and case studies. And the, the central thread to all of that are, is that the best businesses all have one thing in common. 
they have a very defined differentiating culture that's respected and um, adhered to at all levels of the business. doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit or for-profit, a big business or a small business, the one consistent thread between successful businesses is they stand for something and it's very clear. And so I took that to heart. You know, I hired a friend who, um, you know, had a, a small consulting practice and I was like, look, I need to create mission core values. And he told me these rules, things like Nick as the founder and CEO of the company, if you don't walk the walk, if you don't live your mission core values 24, seven, 365, nobody else will. And the second thing is, is like good companies have mission core values. The best companies make all decisions, including the hardest decisions by consulting and finding the answers in their mission core values. So as you can see, Shannon, obviously you're looking at me right now, like I'm sitting in the middle of our headquarters. That gray wall behind me is real. It is uh, 55 feet wide. It's 20 feet tall. It was graffitied by Drexel art students and the mission statement of make life better and the six core values and the clouds around it. You can't enter or exit this space without that. Like I literally put it front and center because I was taking Ed, my friend's advice to heart. And the other thing was like the walk, the walk. If, if I put a bunch of core values up there that I thought were great corporate speak and Inc. Magazine would like to write about them and they just sounded awesome, but were hard for me to walk or, or, or were not translatable enough that other people could be motivated and walk them as well, we wouldn't have anything. I tried to take a lot of my own personal philosophy and my own life experiences and the kind of impact that I wanted to make. And they were, they're still ambitious to this day and they were very ambitious when we created them. But th that's like, that's how you create a differentiating company is you, you create something that's a little ambitious, that your mission statement makes you nervous. Like, wow, can I really make lives better? When we come back, Nick will share about how developing their mission and core values made significant changes to their culture and changed their entire business model. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit quadpod.com, You'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at qodpod.com, the QuadPod Podcast Network. That's qodpod.com. Hi there, I'm Maria Alvarez, a partner at an AMLA 100 firm. The career path for diverse lawyers may look different than the traditional path. We face distinct challenges and enjoy unique opportunities. Every week on the Legally Balanced Podcast, I will help you navigate the waters of developing a successful legal career as a diverse attorney, from developing a book of business to enhancing productivity to getting promoted. Join me and subscribe to the Legally Balanced Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Welcome back to Return on Generosity with your host, Shannon Cassidy, and today's guest, Nick Bayer. We had enough success to stay alive but we weren't going to go anywhere, you know, and, and, until we created our mission core values. And mm -hmm. that was an opportunity for us to, and we never actually kicked everybody out of the company and rehired people, but we were pretty systematic in saying, this is what we stand for now. You know, this is who we are. And if this makes your heart race, like it makes my heart race, you're in the right place. If not, you're not a bad person. This is just not going to be a place that you're going to enjoy. And so we had mm -hmm. to sort of like rebuild the business. We got out of franchising. We were a franchise company. 
because I didn't think that this was consistent with being able to franchise. A lot of franchisees were like, Nick, I just came here because I want to make money. And if making money was the only objective, I just didn't think that that would jive with our core values. And so we literally changed our entire business model as a result of our mission core values. And if we hadn't, we wouldn't have survived. We wouldn't have survived to now. And we certainly wouldn't have survived COVID. But because we stand for something, because everybody has chosen to come to Saxby's because of these, you can ask anyone at Saxby's what our mission is, what our core values are. They're not things that are just in a page. They got hired because of them. They're the only things we talk about in the interview. They're the only things we talk about when we do our our monthly reviews of every single team member. We talk about our mission core values over and over and over because culture is what you both reward and what you correct. And so we do everything through the lens of our, our mission core values. That is brilliant and so helpful for us to hear because it's easier to talk about than to do. So by you sharing with us some of the activities and rituals that you have committed to, to make sure that that maintains the truth and that it is a higher standard of how you're all going to operate and what it means to be a member of that community and that the customers feel it when they walk in. You want there to be a consistent type of a environment for people to go into. And part of it is what the beliefs are of the people who are running the operation. It's really evident in almost any company, but certainly in a hospitality business like ours, when people are either just collecting a paycheck or, or punching the clock, or they actually feel differently about their employer. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's very evident in our business. I think that's part of the reason why we've been able to not only just stay, stay alive, but be able to thrive is that people feel that time in and time out, not just on good days, not just when it's sunny or not in some cafes and not others, but I can go to sleep every, every single night knowing that our, our communities and our guests are going to love their Saxby's experience the next day because we've attracted mission-driven, mission-oriented people. They choose to come here because of what we stand for, not because they necessarily like our coffee more or because our cafe colors are better. Those, those are all, I believe, true, but those are table stakes. Like You can't even be in this game if you don't have those things. If you want to actually win and compete, you better have people who look at what, what they do for you and with you as being more than just a way to collect a paycheck. So we're going to learn about the six values related to how you at Saxby's make life better. And for our listeners, I want you to consider what is Nick teaching you that you could apply in your own work and life? Because that's very much why we have return on generosity is for people to learn from and be inspired by some of the greatest leaders in our communities and think about how can we bring even a thread of that into our own organization. So let's go through the values. Your first one is about we are community serving our community. Yeah. So I mean, I think what, what I like most about that core value is the first part. I think every company talks about how we serve our company. Like there's not a bank in America that doesn't refer to themselves as the best bank for the community. So that's that's the one thing I don't like about that core value is that like I think the term community gets gets overused. And you know, a little a little preview is we're actually going to be sort of merging two. So we are a community serving our community and serve yourself by serving others. Those are going to be getting merged in the next month. We have a whole team here at Taxi that's working on that and a new core value will come up. So six will stay. Yeah, those two are going to get sort of merged into each other. And then this focus on sort of high standards and deep devotion is going to sort of come up next. Yeah, I didn't want our core values to be static. You know, as we grow and we get better and the world around us changes, like you always want to be sort of reevaluating your mission core mm-hmm. values and, and have the have the humility and the bravery to actually make changes to these things. So just a little preview that, yeah. um, that, that there will be some changes. But I, what, I, what I like to focus on the we are a community serving our community is that 
the first part of that. We are a community. Mm-hmm. That I want people when they come to Saxby's to feel like they're part of something. And again, the great majority of our team members now are college age. Yeah, because of our experiential learning platform, which I'm sure we're going to speak about, the great majority of the people who work at Saxby's now are of the age of 18 to 23 years old. Just the the way the world works now, um, I think it was different than when you and I were growing up, Shannon. In many instances, we're most of these people's first job. They've never had a job before. And so, you know, one of the things that I like most about that, and I hear this time and time again when I'm out with our, in our cafes and talking to team members is how oftentimes when they show up at, at school, you know, if you're going to Cabrini, you're going to Penn State, you're going to Westchester, it's the first time a lot of these young people are outside of the community their family built for them. You grew up in this neighborhood, went to this elementary school, with those kids, blah, 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 blah. It's the first time where it's like, all right, mom and dad aren't there to do your laundry. Your soccer team is no longer there to just make friends with. Like you're off on your own. And one of the things I love most, and I've heard countless stories of how many people come to Saxby's and like it's the first time I ever felt like I was part of a community. You know, so we really emphasize the we are a community part because if we're a bunch of just star athletes who can't play well together, we're not going to serve our community. You know, the Westchester University community, the Rittenhouse Square community, very well. But if we've got a bunch of people who look differently and think differently, but have the same heart and soul and the same motivation to make life better for others every single day, we're going to be in a really good position to, to serve our communities quite well. Yes. Oh, I, I think that's terrific to think about how you're building that team and that membership of the team and how people can associate and see themselves as you know, a key player in that team. So you're saying you're combining that with serve yourself by serving others. Let's talk about that one. Yeah. So, so again, serve yourself by serving others. So I think the, the idea there is, um, you know, serving others is obviously something that if you're in the hospitality business, like if you, if you don't like smiling at people, doing things for other people, you know, uh, being thoughtful to other people, like it's weird that you would ever apply to a hospitality job in the first place. So, so what I, what I like about that one is sort of the first part, which is serve yourself. You know, like I like, I like to sort of put out straight, you know, straightforward that, as human beings, we are hardwired to do things in our self-interest. We're not asking you to come to Saxby's and be Mother Teresa, or we're gonna, we have some sort of secret sauce where we're going to make all of you Mother Teresa, that you're just going to inherently give everything away and do only things for other people. Like We're hardwired to do things for ourselves. I've been around long enough to know, I've had enough life experiences at this point, good and bad, to know that the best things come out for us when we're constantly putting other people in mind and doing things for other people. And so we teach people and we, we promote people here based on how much they can do for other people. You know, and we call it out. We have so many sort of routine, um, habitual things that we do here for mission moments and different meetings and different communications that we send out where we're constantly calling out people like Shannon doing this for other people and doing it in conjunction with the promotion that she just got. So we want people to come here and be ambitious. We want people to get a bigger title and to make more money and to be able to leave Saxby's to a bigger job at another company. We want those things. We want people to serve themselves. But you stand out when you just go out of your way to serve other people. And you've built a community around you of people who just want to see you win. And again, I, I, we feel like that's, that's, a, that's a very like personal thing to me because of who we employ. Yes. We employ young people who oftentimes have not worked a job before, I feel like it is my responsibility as a business leader to help set the next generation of talent up 
to do things like that. Because when I, when, you know, oftentimes when I was coming out of school in the 1990s, early 2000s, you know, the heyday of Wall Street, you know, a lot of what I saw from businesses were the quicker you can outwork others, stab others in the back, take business from other people, the quicker you're going to move up. And that is not, that is not what healthy capitalism looks like. That is not what healthy businesses look like. And that is not what healthy, happy employees look like. And so I feel like there's a personal responsibility to teach people that, yes, you can, you can want to accomplish things. You can want to have nicer clothes and a nicer home and go on vacations. But if you do it at the expense of others, it's going to be short lived. It's not going to be very enjoyable. If you could do it at the benefit of others, it's not only going to be longer lived, you're going to be happier. You're going to enjoy it more. You know, we're, we're obviously talking a lot about generosity. That's what leads to a Preach. happy life. Yes, that's exactly it. I think so often we're looking for happiness. We'll even describe it as happiness or like, you know, what do you want for your children? I want them to be happy. What do you want for your employees? I want them to be happy. What do you want for yep. yourself? I want to be happy. I, and I don't think that that's really what we're wanting the most for everybody. I think what we really want is joy. And yeah. joy is more internal and it's deeply rooted in something meaningful and purposeful. And joy comes through giving. You know yep. it, I know it. Anybody who's ever been on this planet for long enough to be conscious of your behavior knows yep. that joy comes from giving. So exactly what you're saying is we have to give. But what I really like about this one, about the serve yourself by serving others is the self-care because sometimes we can be so generous that we burn out or we're exhausted or we're resentful really that people need anything from us. So you reminding us to say, go, take care of yourself, especially yeah, now yeah. during COVID, this has to have been a really important value for you and the team to model. Yeah, it, it definitely has. There's no doubt. I mean, you and I were talking about it before we, uh, we sort of went on, on air here is, you know, I think it's been helpful for me, you know, in terms of the taking care of myself during the COVID time is that I oftentimes had, a lot of nighttime activities and speaking engagements and it was really difficult. Like I just got used to like just going straight from the job to an event, you know, not sleeping as much, getting right back up and being on that treadmill. And I was like, look, I'll have time to sleep when I die. You know, like I'll, any of those ridiculous sayings that, that people throw out there. And um, this has been an amazing opportunity for me to, to revalue my own health and taking care of myself and, and how much better I am and helpful to other people. And I feel good. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm properly motivated. Our OG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. There are so many things that Nick shared for us to contemplate. Let's focus on the triple threat, how we show up to our family, business, and community. Like Nick said, sometimes we have success in one of the three areas, maybe two, but the magic is all three at once. Let's look at the triple threat like a three-legged stool. How would you rank yourself in the areas of family, work, and community? We could use a simple feedback framework I like, plus delta. What's working? What could change? What's working most in my three-legged stool? Family. What could change? My community involvement. How about you? How's your family life? If you're single, in a relationship, married, divorced, how would you rate your family life? Not in a comparative way, please. Rather, in an honest, as objective as you can kind of way. Who are you closest to in your family? How can you invest even more in that relationship? Who are the people who have become your family? You don't have the same bloodline, but they are your chosen family. 
How can your relationship with those incredible people deepen? What's one action you could take to strengthen it? How's your career and work-life situation? What's going well? Some of you remain committed to one organization for many years. Some are starting a new role internally or with another organization. Some have been displaced and are in transition looking for the next role. Some of us own and operate our own businesses and are working through the changes of a remote and virtual world. No matter where you are, your work life matters. How fulfilled do you feel? How well are you leveraging your strengths? Think about that. Wherever you're at right now, how well are you leveraging your strengths? Plus what's working, Delta, what could change? Your community involvement and engagement. There's so much value in participating in our local communities. It's a meaningful way to be generous with our time and talent. It also provides us a place to belong and contribute, which can reduce loneliness. Which community activities do you like participating in? If you have no clue, how can you find out? What are some resources that you could tap into for information and ideas? If you're already involved, how can you deepen those connections and bond with the people you're supporting? What's working related to your community involvement? What could change? Join us next week, episode 24, for part two, when Nick shares the remaining ways to make lives better, like communication and feedback loops related to the core values and setting clear expectations. We'll also learn about the experimental learning program and what ODD stands for. Until then, stay generous. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.